What's up, coaches? You are tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, your home for all things defensive line play. And this is episode number 53, which is is kind of a, a significant number because that was my football number back in the day. So, you know, of course, we're not doing anything special because I never did anything special wearing that number, to be honest. But today I am excited to be joined by a co-host for the first time in the short history of this podcast. Today I am joined by Midlothian High School defensive line coach, Robert Irwin. Coach Irwin, what's up, man? Glad you agreed to do this. I'm sure, I'm not sure you knew what you're getting yourself into, but but I'm glad you're here. Hey, I'm happy to be here. It was fun the first time and glad to be back. Well, hey, I, I before we move on, you know, I mentioned it, I just mentioned that, you know, this is episode 53. 53 is my football number. And, you know, I don't know if maybe I'm the only one that does this and, and you can tell me if you if you do this or not. And I know, you know, other coaches can weigh in or whatever on Twitter or something if we throw this out there, but you know, I use my my football number for a lot of things. Like it's in it's in my Twitter handle. Uh, it's it's part of a lot of my passwords and usernames for stuff. Like, and and I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know why. But it, it, is that something? What was your number back when you were playing? Do you still use that number for different things? Well, first off, um, I'm glad you told me that. I'll be deposit or I'll be uh, withdrawing about. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It won't get um, it won't get you very far, but. <laughs> Yeah, so as far as the uh, the number is concerned, uh, I guess the one that I associate most with is number nine. Uh, one, I've, I grew up an Aggie fan, so that win was kind of in the oh, yeah. when I was growing yeah. up. Um, and so definitely wanted to be like him. I put a little bit of quarterback and a little bit of linebacker, so um, that was that was it. Now, as, uh, as I enjoyed food in my life more and more, uh, I grew bigger and so did my number. Yeah. Uh, and so I ended up, um, with uh, D line and O line playing at number fifty six, and so okay, I, I can't okay. say that I, I really use it very much. Um, it's not in any of my passwords. It's like, you know, I don't really have a whole lot tied into it. But I will tell you that whenever I'm the coach that's signed to pass out jerseys, if I pass out number nine and number fifty six, like you're getting an evil eye. Yeah, it's not just some slaps jersey. Like one of the better kids in our team is going to get one of those two. And, and and you better not disrespect the numbers for sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah, because you know that win is definitely that's that's not a guy you want to disappoint. I mean, uh, uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 of course, you know, um, single digit numbers are always popular. I, I gotta believe, and because this is how it is with fifty three. Like, there's no kid ever that I've ever had who's come up and begged me, Coach, do you have fifty three left? Can I please have it? Like. You know, my brother was 55, which I think it's always been a, that's a cool number, like double fives. I think any double number is cool, but, you know, no kids oh, yeah. like, oh, please, coach, give me 53. And I'm sure it was kind of the same with 56. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nobody's really fighting over it, but I'm sure not going to let some flappy on the team get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, hey, so here's the question I want to ask you, coach, which I think is the one, the question that's on everyone's mind right now. You know, you were a former guest uh, on this podcast. Uh, you, you were uh, featured on episode number seven uh, about a year ago, maybe even a little, a little over a year ago at this point. Yeah, here's what, what everybody's wanting to know. How has your life changed since you came on this podcast? I mean, are you still able to like go out in public and you know enjoy a nice meal at a restaurant with your family, or is it just you know paparazzi and and flash bulbs everywhere you go? I mean, I've had to really sequester myself. It's been tough. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was at, at our local beef for Brady's the other day, and I, I mean, could not even order a sandwich. <laughs> It was terrible. Yeah, local beef of Brady's. Okay, yeah, they have a bowl game, so that's a, that's a, that's that's 
That's a nice, I mean, that's a pretty legit we're big place. Time here in Midlothian. Yeah, so yeah. What can I tell you? Yeah, yeah. Not everybody's lucky enough to be at. Well, you talked about you know you had to be sequestered, and and that's kind of what everybody's doing right now. How how are uh, how have you been handling this quarantine? We're all like, how are you guys handling over there at Midlothian? What what's your what are your days been looking like? Uh, so our our school district has us uh, basically transitioned completely to online teaching. Uh, so we started that this Monday, um, and it's been tough. I mean, we're I'm really kind of in front of a computer from eight to four. Um, I've got Google meets that I have to do periodically either with my instruction team or with, uh, admin people or, or principals, or, or, uh, there's even we have virtual office hours where the kids know that we're going to be online and, and they can access us. So, um, you know, we, we are definitely earning taxpayer dollar, um, yeah. in Midlothian right now, but you know, uh, I feel very, very blessed to, to have this time with my family right now. Um, and, and I have three boys, uh, that just keep me in stitches pretty much all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not hurting. Don't, don't feel bad for coach Irwin. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Uh, I definitely miss my players. I definitely miss football. I'm, I'm disappointed that we're not going to do spring ball, but, um, I know everybody's basically in that same boat. And, yeah. and so I'm just making the best of it. And really it, it's not too hard to do that. Yeah, it's definitely been weird. I mean, it's it's um, kind of like what you talked about. I mean, you know, used to, if, if you're out of school for this long, it's because, like, weather's bad or it's spring break or something. But, like, you know, like today, for example, walk outside and it's a beautiful day and it just feels it just feels weird or, like, like it doesn't feel right, you know, like taking the kids out to the uh, to go ride their bikes out, you know, in, in, the, in our cul-de-sac in front of our house. Like, man, this is just something doesn't feel right. It's definitely... You know, it's 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 been it's been unusual, and I think that's been the biggest thing. Is you know, fortunately for us as teachers and coaches, you know, we're still getting paid, which is a huge thing and, and a huge stress relief. So we we view this quarantine a whole lot differently than than people who aren't drawing a paycheck now. And I know that's a serious deal for those guys. Absolutely. And and, and uh, but yeah. for us as coaches, you're right. We are able to put the focus on our family and 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 um you know that's one of the things we're going to talk with coach Kuhn about today about how he's handling that as a head coach with his team but I want to I want these guys to get to know you a little bit and and we won't go through your full bio because they can go check that out again episode number seven you need it's a great episode you need to go listen to it but here are some things that I've picked up about you since since we've kind of known each other via Twitter and via this podcast that, that you participate or you compete in, in, in the Highland Games. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, started about three years ago, uh, just kind of looking for a way to stay competitive, I guess. Actually, four years ago, uh, there was a, a Scottish festival. So I should start by saying my family is, is very Scottish. Um, like my my mother's a Scott Irish Episcopalian, my father's a Scott Irish Episcopalian, and you can trace our lineage back a long way. Uh, I grew up, you know, like just just knowing that our family was Scottish with Scottish traditions and Scottish food and all that type of stuff. And so, um, you know, about four years ago, I was at a Scottish festival, which you know really wasn't all that uncommon. I'd kind of grown up going to those, watching the Highland Games athletes do this thing, and then. Um, I was just I was sitting there in the stands watching them do the Highland Games, and I thought, I want to do that. Like I'm tired of sitting here watching this. I'd rather be out there doing it. Um, you know, we always ask for kids to be competitive, and I'm a pretty competitive person, so I just wanted to go out there and see how heavy that stuff really was. And 
It is every bit as heavy as you think it is. Yeah, yeah. So what goes into competing in the high? Like, how do you practice? Because you're like flipping, like looks like um, telephone poles over your head or something. Like, what? What? How do you? How do you practice that stuff? Where do you practice that? So um, for me, I do a lot of practicing. My father-in-law, he's got um, about I don't know three or four acres or something like that. So um, I've got some space out at his place where I can keep all the different implements and I can make a. Um, a trig, which is it's kind of the same idea of like a shot and put uh, shot put and discus ring. Yeah. Uh, so there's nine there's nine different events, and if you've ever thrown discus or shot, uh, you know probably four to six of the events are already kind of they're similar to those. The yeah. ones that are very different are what's called the sheep toss, which is where you toss a, a 20 pound uh, burlap bag over a bar for height. Um, and then the, the one that everybody knows and loves is the caber toss. And that's where you have basically a telephone pole, something between about 14 and 17 feet tall, you know, various weights depending on on your skill and ability level. But uh, your, your goal is to try to make it do one rotation. And if you can imagine a clock face sitting in front of you, it needs to land at a perfect 12 o'clock right in front of you. Um, and so it's a combination of power and some technique and, and some finesse. And, and as far as practicing it, I mean, a, a lot of Olympic lifts in the gym, um, which, you know, probably if you walked by me in the street, you wouldn't just go, oh, that guy lifts a lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I eat a lot too. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of Olympic lifts in the gym and then uh, you, there's just nothing that replaces actually going out there and yeah. throwing the weights yeah. and throwing the logs and, and, and doing the actual events, but uh, it, it's a really good time. And, and the community is a really cool community, a lot like coaching. In fact, there's a lot of, there's, there's kind of a bunch of football coaches uh, across the country that get involved with this. And so, you know, I'll end up talking D-line or, or, you know, pressure packages with a guy who's, you know, clear on the other side of the country. Um, and then, you know, we'll go flip some logs and have a, have a, malted beverage or two yeah and you're and you're wearing kilts the whole time which is you know the the beauty of it right i mean you know there you go yeah. hey and and so here's what i want to know uh you're, you're you said you know scottish uh does that mean that that you know haggis is something that's on the menu at your house uh frequently absolutely oh. I, make a, I make a mean haggis oh do you i mean is that like like because I gotta imagine I've never eaten it I've seen it like on cooking shows that's how I know what it is why don't you explain to us what haggis is for people who don't know all right so traditionally it is the heart liver and lungs of a sheep that are ground up mixed with oats and spices and usually some kind of like a currant like a, like a almost a raisin type deal and then you shove it into the, that kind of mixture it really if you think like meatloaf that's kind of what this is. It gets shoved in the sheep's stomach, twisted off, and then boiled for a while. Um, and so somewhere between meatloaf and sausage would be kind of a, the best way to describe yeah. it. People get really turned off by the whole heart, liver, lungs. But, but really, like, if you've ever, like, had ground beef or ground lamb, like, that's really what you're eating. And so, like, when I make them at the house, that's that's really what we're doing. So we're taking yeah. a small mixture of ground beef, ground lamb throwing the spices, throwing the oats, all that stuff, and then and then we make the haggis. But, I got gotcha. you. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those things that when you, when you tell people what it is, they're like, oh, God, that sounds terrible. But if I just told you, hey, this is Scottish meatloaf, and I didn't really go into detail, you'd probably try it. You'd probably like it. Yeah. And, and I, most most people have. Yeah. 
Well, you know, and also too, hey, I'm I'm you know over here saying that's that's terrible sounding and and whatever, but you know <laughs> I've also eaten a hot dog, okay, and and you know so let's 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 not you know yeah, I don't want to sound too pretentious I here, know but what I mean. Goes into a hag- I don't know what goes into chicken yeah, nuggets or hot dogs. You're exactly anymore. right. So, I mean, hey, you know, I guess the benefit is with haggis, you at least know what's in there, at least if you're making it. So, okay, well, maybe, uh, you know, I, I could I could see where that could taste okay. Again, also, too, you know, we're, we're close to Louisiana over here. People, you know, eat, people eat boudin, and, and, and so that could, you know, that can be – that can be a little uh, a little sketchy sometimes, uh, but oh, all right, yeah. let's 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 get this thing back on course a little bit here. You know, today we are um, uh, we're talking with Dodge City Community College head coach Ricky Kuhn, which is a is an awesome sounding name for a football coach, by the way. Um, yeah, dude. And and anyway, I first crossed uh, paths with Coach Kuhn back you know almost ten years ago. Uh, when he was at Northwest Community College, which is a JUCO in Senatobia, Mississippi. You know, if you don't know, junior college ball in the state of Mississippi is huge. And I was coaching at a high school there, pretty close uh, in, in Oxford, which is close to Senatobia. And he recruited, uh, he was the guy that was recruiting our high school and, and uh, took uh, about three or four of our players. And so that's how we crossed paths the first time and then uh, reconnected with him on Twitter. But anyway, we're talking with Coach Kuhn today about how you know he transitioned from being a four-two-five guy to now running a three-four there at Dodge City and 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 getting their tight and bare fronts and and uh, talking about three techniques and four eyes, which is all stuff that's that's right up your alley, right, Coach Irwin? Absolutely. I, I mean, I started off in the four-two-five, uh, the first school that I ever coached with, and you know now we're we're running a lot more three-four uh, here in Midlothian, so. Uh, I, I can't wait to talk to him. I think he's going to have a lot of insight for, for all of us. Yeah, so uh, this is our first time rolling with the co-host. So me and Coach Irwin, uh, we're, we're just uh, we're rolling with it, man, and, and we are going to do our best, and we're really excited to talk to Coach Kuhn. Before we get to today's guest, I want to tell you about a company that is doing something really special to help out coaches and athletes during our current quarantine situation. You know, as coaches, we are all worried about our athletes right now, right? You know, are, are they staying safe? Are they, are they taking care of themselves? Are they working out? Well, the guys at Max One App want to help out with that. And so, to assist football programs in this uncertain time, our partners at Max One are offering their strength training and communication app for free through May 31st. There have already been hundreds of coaches taking advantage of this tool that can assist them as they virtually train their teams. Max One is a virtual weight room that allows you to deliver workouts, training videos, and educational materials to your athletes, even when you can't practice or train with them in person. If you want the ability to train your athletes in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, then click on the link in our show notes for more information, or you can check out the link that we post on our Twitter page today, or you can check those guys out on Twitter at Max1App for more information on how to get your program signed up for your free Max1 account through May 31st. And now let me introduce you to today's guest, Dodge City Community College head coach, Ricky Kuhn. In 2019, Coach Kuhn began his first year as the head football coach at Dodge City Community College. He spent the last five years as the assistant head coach and defensive line coach at Southeast Missouri State University. Coach Kuhn spent the 2013 season as a defensive coordinator at Northwest Mississippi Community College. And prior to that, he worked the 2012 campaign as defensive line coach at NCAA Division II Southwest Baptist University and gained six years of experience at the junior college level. Coach Kuhn was the defensive coordinator at Ellsworth Community College from 2009 through 2011, where he helped lead the Panthers to the 2009 NJCAA Region 11 Championships, 
two Midwest football conference playoff titles, and two NJCAA bowl game appearances. In 2009, Coach Coon's defensive unit set a school record for fewest yards allowed in a bowl game. Before his three-year stint at Ellsworth, Coach Coon was the defensive coordinator and head strength and conditioning coordinator at Highland Community College from 2007 to 2008. And before that, Coach Coon worked as a defensive line coach at NCAA Division II Northern State in 2006. A native of Wichita, Kansas, Coach Coon started his coaching career as a defensive line coach and strength and conditioning coordinator at his alma mater, Bethel College. He was a two-time all-conference defensive lineman at Dodge City Community College and Bethel College, and he also had the privilege of playing a little bit of arena football there as well. All right, Coach Irwin, so I think we're just about ready to go. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right, well, perfect. Well, let's kick this thing off. Here is Coach Ricky Coon on episode number 53 of KYPD. Coach Coon, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited. Well, Coach, let's let's jump right in this thing and begin with you telling us a little about your coaching background and how you got your start and just some stops that you've made along the way. Sure. You know, I think uh, <clears throat> currently the head football coach at Dodge City Community College in Kansas uh, just got done with my first season. Um, spent the um, spent the last five years before that at a Division One FCS school, Southeast Missouri State University. Um, you know, had a fantastic five years there. Was part of turning the program around from kind of worst to first. So um, that was fun to go through that process. I was the assistant head coach and the defensive line coach there. Um, you know, I got my start um, at Bethel College where I actually played. So I spent a season at Dodge City Community College um, where I'm currently the head coach and then went to a small college in Kansas, Bethel College, and when I got done playing, I started coaching right away, and, you know, I got done playing, and I think November, and started coaching in December, and, uh, you know, being at a small school, I got a lot of responsibility right away. Um, I was actually the defensive line coach, which was exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but but it was an opportunity that, that I took serious because I knew coaching was what I wanted to do. Um, I spent one season there in kind of a student assistant role and then uh, went back to my high school alma mater, Wichita South High School in Kansas, and I uh, spent one season there coaching high school football and then went back to Bethel in, in a more graduate assistant type of role, a little more responsibility, and then <clears throat> got my first uh, full-time job at Northern State University Division II school in South Dakota. I was the D-line coach, um, you know, I was 24 years old and a full-time D2 coach and, and was just high on life at that time and and uh, spent a year there. And then I went back to Kansas and I took the defensive coordinator job at Highland Community College in Kansas. Um, so at that time, I was a 25-year-old defensive coordinator of the Kansas Jayhawk Conference, which is, you know, arguably one of the tougher junior college conferences out there and and uh, kind of got trial through fire there as a coordinator. Spent two years, had a lot of success on defense, and that time was a four-two-five type of defense. And, and uh, <clears throat> went on to Ellsworth Community College in Iowa as the defensive coordinator for the next three years. 
Um, we were 24 and nine with the three bowl games and, and had a lot of success there. Um, I left there, took another D2 job um, as a as a coordinator at uh, Cholon University in North Carolina. Uh, only ended up spending three months there. Was there for a spring. Um, just wasn't just wasn't my kind of place. And uh, had an opportunity to go work with some with a buddy of mine at Southwest Baptist University, a Division II school in Bolivar, Missouri. And uh, went there as the defensive line coach, coached in the MIAA conference, which is uh, probably the toughest D2 conference in America. Um, it was a great experience. Unfortunately, after my first season there, our head coach was let go. Um, so I had to actually, you know, I ended up taking a job I would have taken probably if I were still there. I took the defensive coordinator job at Northwest Mississippi Community College. Uh, historically, fantastic program. Um, so I spent a year there, and then uh, then I got the job at Southeast Missouri State as the defensive line coach um, in 2014, I guess it was. And, uh, you know, spent a, spent a year as a D-line coach, and I got promotion to the assistant head coach and continued to coach the defensive line. And spent five years there. Um, we took a program from worst to first, like I said, and, and then – had ambitions to be a head football coach ever since I started off on this journey and uh, had that opportunity and uh, took a jump, and here we are. Yeah, Coach, and, and it's, it was when you were at Northwest is when our, our, our paths crossed, and I know you don't remember this. I was a, a lowly uh, position coach over there at, at Lafayette County High School there in Oxford, but I know we sent okay, you guys yep. some players. And, and uh, yeah, you're right, Northwest has always been a great program, great uh, junior college program, and and, and, and a lot like in, in the state of Kansas, you know, the state of Mississippi, junior college football is big time. And, and Thursday sure. nights, uh, you know, there's nothing like, you know, a Thursday night uh, junior college game, you know, in the state of Mississippi, especially back in the day when, you know, all the kids went to their regional school. And, and yeah. so, you know, all those kids kind of stayed, you know, in the area so you could go and watch, you know, a, a lot of your own kids plus the kids that you played against all of there on the same team. So that was really cool and unique. You know, so you, you've you've made your way uh, in your career through a lot of you know a lot of smaller schools and, and it had some had some experience at bigger schools as well. But you talked about this at, at the very beginning of your career. You know, you had a lot of responsibility early, and I have to imagine that that's a benefit of, of getting your start and working through a, a small school because you do get a lot of responsibility early. What are some other advantages that that coaches can experience when um, coaching at smaller schools and going that route? Well, you know, I think I think the most important thing, why it might be frustrating at the time that you're doing five thousand different things, but it's a blessing, you know. Yeah. And and uh, the more you the more you can do, um, it's like a player. The more a player can do, the more valuable he is. Okay, so it's the same thing for a coach. Um, the more experience you have doing things, whether it's laundry or video or, or painting a field or, or mowing a field or whatever it is. Um, all those things kind of make you who you are. And one of the things I'm, I'm the most proud of is I went the long way and I didn't skip any steps. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've mowed the field. I've painted the field game in practice. I've done, I've fitted a helmet, fixed a helmet, done it all. And that's something that I think a lot of time, if you just, if I just go, I'm a GA at the university of Texas, I don't get to do any of that. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm freaking making copies and, and doing visio work and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not getting my hands dirty. Um, and that's something that I think when you coach at a small school, you have to. And yeah. 
I, I generally, I really believe I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't started um, at the small college level and, and just had to grind my way through it. Coach, junior college football ha- has gotten a lot of attention over the last few years, you know, with the, the Last Chance U series and, you know, all of that. And some of it's been good, some of it's bad. And, and if you're a football coach, you've probably at least seen a few episodes of, of that series. You know, in your opinion, what's the biggest misconception that people have about junior college football? Well, number one, I, I was uh, I, I recruited at East uh, when I was a CMI, I recruited Mississippi Junior Colleges, so they were there at East Mississippi for two years, I guess, and and uh, I think I even got a cameo on one of the episodes, but but uh, you know, I, I think I think the common misconception is uh, people think it's just like it is in the show, you know, um, and you know, not all programs are ran that way, you know, obviously, um, I just think. Uh, when people think junior college football, you automatically think of guys who who are screw ups, yeah. You know? and, you, and you think of guys that are not not good people, and that's not always the case. You know, there's a lot of good people in junior college football, coaches and players. And so, you know, I think um, I think it brought a lot of that series brought a lot of attention to junior college football, but it wasn't positive attention. You know, for sure, um, it was a dang circus. You know, and I think it it made our it made junior college football look bad. Um, and I just the biggest thing I want people to understand is that ain't that ain't how it is everywhere. And right, if, if I have to if I have to run my program like that to win, then I'll do something else. You know, and and uh, you know, to each his own. Both those programs had success and and uh, did a good job. But that's not how everybody uh, runs their program. And I think when they watch that, they think this is how junior college football is. And that's obviously not always the case. I'm so glad you said that. It's just it's hard to watch that show sometimes because of how uh, how coaches and, and players treat one another. And, sure. and it is tough. And, that, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I feel like the, one of those biggest misconceptions is that, you know, somehow these kids have all messed up. And that's why they're at a JUCO. But. Yeah. You know, I've coached players. I've, I've played with guys that went on to play at, at JUCO. And, sure. you know, as, as coaches in Texas, we're we're very aware of the fact that, um, you know, there's a whole myriad of reasons why kids aren't necessarily the most successful in their school yep. environment. Um, yeah. And it could be home problems. It could be a whole bunch of different things. Sure. And and so it doesn't mean that they're bad kids. It doesn't mean that they have to be coached in, in the manner that you see on TV. And, and uh, well, I'm, I'm just really glad to hear you say that. That's exciting. Well, well, I think you know. I think one thing is, um, people. I think some people discount the talent level of junior college football. I get a lot Absolutely. of calls and say, "Well, you know, he could probably play for you at junior college." Well, well, if he ain't That's a Division One player, he probably ain't gonna play. You know, this is a high <laughs> level. Yeah, you know, we could be some some FCS schools. You know, junior colleges. I mean, there's a lot of dudes running around that field, and and uh, you know, like you said, it's you know, there's a lot of ways to coach. You know, and, and that's just not, yeah. not my way. You know, and I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you. I'll, you know, we were hard on our kids too, but I think there's obviously a right way and a wrong way to do it. And, and I do plenty of stuff I'm not proud of, I'm sure. But but at the end of the day, it's not that way all the time. And and um, I just think um, when people see that show, they see two different programs, you know, kind of similar. They think that's just how it is. You know, and agreed. And uh, so that's just something you fight a little bit. And obviously, you get those questions in recruiting. You know, hey, my parents watch the show. They don't like junior college football. 
you know, and it's not, people don't know what they don't know. It's just ignorance, you know, is really what it is. And it's not their fault. We try to explain it to them and, and, uh, you know, and if we can, if we make it work, we can, if we don't, we don't. Yeah, coach, and you talked about that, you know, where and I and I've seen this and Coach Irwin, I'm sure you've you've run into this also when you're talking with kids uh about, you know, what what they what kind of routes they want to pursue when it when it comes to playing at the next level. And a lot of times, you know, they're like, Hey, I I'm just gonna go play junior college, you know, and like like that's kind yeah. of like the last resort and, and you, know, <laughs> you know, man, hey, I don't know if you know if you've ever been to a junior college football game or, or been on camp, but like those are some grown men there. Like you know, that's mm-hmm. not just like the 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 the, ki- the kids that can't play. You know, yeah, um, no doubt. And, and so that's that's definitely another misconception. There is like again, yeah. I talked about it. We we would go to uh, that was one of the things in, in Mississippi. You know, our sub varsity games were on Tuesdays, so Thursday nights uh-huh. we usually had open. So we'd go to a couple of uh, junior college games. Sure. And man, I'm telling you, it was some it was some high quality football. Now, of course, you get to some of those schools where. Uh, it's it's a little rough and and yeah, and you know they don't but sure. but that's like every that's like everywhere but man I'm telling you you know those programs like Northwest like East uh, like yep. like um, uh, Northeast was another one you know that you got some good some big time dudes coming through there uh, and some really high quality football and that's definitely a great option for kids to to pursue and to look into when when looking to play at the next level. Well, well, you know another reason I came back to junior college. You, you think about my career path. You know, I grinded my way to a Division One assistant, um, and you're like, well, now you're back in junior college. Why? Well, number one, I made that. I, I went through that process as an assistant, so now I want to be a head coach. I got to start over. Okay. And number two, I've coached, like I said, I've coached at every level of college football, except for Division Three. Junior college football is the most rewarding level of football there is because you're taking guys who came there for a reason, whether it was academic or they didn't get enough looks or they need to get better physically, whatever it is, they're there for a reason. And, you know, you, you ultimately help them change their lives by earning an opportunity. That doesn't mean they have to go to the university of Alabama, you know, just you're giving them a chance to play four year football. And, and um, I just think it's the most rewarding level for me. And, and that's one reason I came back. Coach, let's talk about your defense now. And you mentioned this already, uh, just through, you know, throughout your career, uh, you, you, for a while you were a four-two-five guy. I know you were at Northwest and and, yep. and at SEMO, and um, and since then you you've transitioned and now are running a three-four at Dodge City. So, talk about that transition and the thinking behind it and how that came about. So, you know, as a coordinator, um, my first, I don't know seven years or so as a coordinator i was an even front mainly four two five guy um and it was fine it worked you know i thought we did some good stuff and and uh i took the job at southeast missouri state at semo and they had been an even front too they had been a four two five four three type team um at the last school they were at the staff and so when i got there i thought that's what we were doing and they're like yeah we're changed to a three four yeah and so I was kind of like, man, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of experience with it. I had some sub-package experience with it, but had never based out of it. And so, um, you know, six years later, I don't think I would ever base out of anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's know? a that's because, a big that's a big statement. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's how multiple it is. And it's still the way we do it. It's still a one-gap defense. And yeah. A lot of people, 
when you hear three, four, you're thinking, well, I got to have two gap linemen and we got to do, you know, that's not the case. You know, there's a lot of run fit issues in the four and the even front four, two, five, four, three, whatever you're doing um, gapped out football. There's a lot of, a lot of run fit issues where you have to utilize line stunts and, and rolling DBs here and there and, and all these kind of things where in the three, four, it really smooths out a lot of those issues. And so uh, we're like a we're like a bear tight front, whatever you want to call it. I think tight front mm-hmm. is kind of the popular name. We call it a bear front. We play threes and four eyes um, in a zero technique, and and uh, that's our base front. And you know, so been doing it the last did five years at Semo, one year here at Dodge City, and and uh, it's been tremendous for us. And like I said, I really don't think um, I would ever go back to basing out of an even front. Coach, you talked about how, you know, and, and I agree uh, because I, kind of in the same type of situation, was in a, a 4-3 uh, for six years and, and got here to the school where I am now. I and mean, we're 3-4, but we are extremely multiple out of it. Uh, and you talked about how there's a lot of – you run into a lot of problems with run fits and stuff out of a four-down front. Uh, and, 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 you know, of, of course, you know, probably the most, the, the most common one is, you know, is, is your – the offenses know where your three tech is and they know where your B gap bubble is. And that can be problematic yeah. because, you know, how do you hide that? Um, and, and, you know, without always slanting and, and doing those sorts of things. So just talk about, you know, what the three, four does that, that, that you, that you get out of that, that you weren't getting out of a four down front. Well, number one, it's like you said, it's a, it's a balanced defense. So there's no bubbles. You know, it's, it looks the same on both sides. We're we're a field and boundary based defense, so it does a couple things. Number one is it allows us to play faster in tempo, okay, which is kind of where football is today. Um, I remember being even when I was in Northwest Mississippi, I'm I'm putting a call in and it's a dang it's a paragraph or a sentence. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sitting here, you know, Phil G Army match White Smoke Five, and I'm just kind of like, what in the world? You know, now we're, we're kind of a one signal, one word defense. You know, yeah. I say one word and everybody knows what to do. And so I think it really, and playing field and boundary, just to get lined up without a formation. As soon as the ball's down on the hash, the guys are lining up. Um, and then obviously, you know, you got to get the call. So it's very, very functional versus spread teams, spread tempo teams. It's kind of what it's built for. Um, which is most of America nowadays at every level. Um, you know, it, it gives us the ability. We can be in, obviously, your three-man front. You know, we can slide to some even looks out of it. Um, and then there's some different packages. Uh, we, we base out of quarters, cover four, cover one, or kind of our two base base coverages, a lot of cover four. Um, and then we can get into – we get into some three safety stuff where we take out an outside backer, put in an extra DB, and now I can be still be a three-four look and play more man, and I can slide to an even front and twist them, looking like a four-two-five. You know, all those things. It's just so multiple that I just think it's it's looking at it. It's just stupid not to do it. You know, when I'm thinking in my brain, like, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, there's just so much multiplicity to it. And with the way teams change nowadays, you got to be multiple. Um, you know, and, and when I look at it, it's a true, it's a true system. You know, I think the mistake a lot of guys get is, you know, you see different offenses from week to week and you're, well, we're basing out of three, four this week. We're basing out of maybe four, two this week. You know, they're running defenses instead of a defensive system. 
Right. And so right. what we've been able to do is really, really, really hone in a system where that's three, that's three things. Anytime we put something in, we're looking for three things. Number one, is it simple, simple enough for the kids to play fast. Number two, is it multiple enough to face whatever offense you see from week to week? You might see triple option one week and spread gun the next week. You never know. It's got to be multiple. And then number three, it's got to be, a, it has to work. And so, you know, we look at those three things and the three, four is definitely those three, those three things. And, and at the end of the day, you can use as much as you want, you know, and people say, you know, you, you're back in junior college. Do you do less than you did in FCS football? Um, my answer is no, you can do as much as you can teach, you know, and, and uh, it, it ain't necessary to me about how the players learn. It's about how good are you at teaching it? And so if you're not a very good teacher. You can't do very much. Yeah. Um, if you're a good teacher, you can run anything you want. To run. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, and that's just the honest truth behind it. And, and we're running most of the same stuff we ran for the last five years in an FCS program, you know, and, yeah. and we're doing it with junior college kids. And it's because, because we understand it and we know how to teach it. And, uh, but I would just say the multiplicity out of it, um, and what old line coach wakes up in the morning and says, I love to block the bare front, you know, I yeah. don't think any of it, you know, so it's, yeah. it's hard, yeah. hard, hard to run the ball. Um, you know, and when you look at it, you say, well, what's the weakness? Well, maybe we can't get a very good pass rush. Well, three out of my five years at SEMO, we led the league in sacks. Uh, so you look at that and you're like, well, we're pretty good at sacks. You know, we gave up single-digit rushing touchdowns three out of the five years I was at SEMO. And then my last year, we led the nation in takeaways. And so um, at the end of the day, you know, it's, you can run a 4-2 or 4-3-3. It's about how you do it, really not what you do. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly you know, right. Being physical, running to the football, you know, taking the ball away. If you're doing those three things, tackling well, then you could be good at whatever you do um, as long as your scheme is sound. But the 3-4 is it's just really simple. And, and really, really multiple. Uh, I was wondering, as you transitioned from the four down front to a three-man front, like, with your involvement with the D-line, like, how does that change your points of emphasis? Like, where, where are you shifting? Uh, are you changing your drills? Are you changing hand placement feed? I mean, how does that kind of adjust your coaching points for the D-line? Since we're playing threes and four eyes, um, I really didn't have to change anything. You know, it's still a one-gap defense. I mean, a three technique's a three technique. doesn't matter if it's in a – what kind of defense it's in, you know. And I think the biggest difference was the zero technique a little bit, you know. I had to find ways to kind of work that in there. Um, but the shade stuff was really easy because, you know, you're playing a shade of a man. It doesn't matter what defense you're playing in. And, and, and when I look at stuff, I look small to big. And so, you know, when we're doing drill work as D linemen, we do what we call pods. And there's generally two O linemen and one D linemen. And, and that could be, be a three technique, a five technique, a two eye, a shade. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that's a pod. And it doesn't matter what defense you're in. That pod's the same. Yeah. Okay. And, and so we look at kind of look at it that way. And so since it was more of a, a single gap defense, I didn't have to change a lot of drills or any of those kind of things. You know, we made it really simple for our zero technique. Uh, we don't, we don't, 
we don't play lag or backside or any of that kind of stuff. I think that's kind of clinic talk. We tell the nose tackle to tee off on the center's face and never let the guard overtake you on either direction, you know, and that's essentially his job. So it's pretty dang easy. Um, so drill work wise, it's a lot of the same drill work. Yeah, coach, I, I found that to be true again. Um, you know, coming from, from coaching a four down front to a three down front, you know, we are, we're going to base out of, um, you know, we're going to have, we're going to set our defense, not necessarily with a strength call, but we're going to, we're going to call our defense telling uh, basically where we want our four technique to be. Uh, uh-huh. So we're going to, we're going to set our defense to the four technique and then the opposite of him will be a five. And so, you know, if you're playing a four, well, for us, that was just like playing uh, a lot like playing a six technique when I was, when I was yep. coaching a four down front. Now, one thing yep. that's a little unique with us is we play a, uh, a flex technique where, a flex four technique and we do this with our five also but you know he is teeing off on that on that tackle but depending on what that tackle does you know if it's a non-aggressive block you know if it's a zone or inside inside release or anything he's a c-gap player uh and so then but then if he's if he gets an outside or any kind of aggressive block now he's going to fall into b-gap and so i i to to me it was i didn't have to change much i mean and and in fact being able to play that flex it took a lot of anxiety off the kids because they weren't worried about getting reached, you know. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. a big we time. Some of that too. So, so I, I yeah, to to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, that was the cool thing about it. Is I didn't have to go to a, a you know completely uh, different coaching progression. Yeah. Um, I, well. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, initially, I was worried about it when they're like, "Yeah, we're going to be a three-four. I'm thinking, "I've never done this." what the heck am I going to do? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, just, I just got this job and I felt confident because I know they had been doing the stuff that I've been doing for years. And all of a sudden they were running this. I'm like, Holy smokes. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. You know? and so yeah. It was great for me to have to learn a new system and obviously one that I've adopted, but, but uh, I found out that, you know what, I don't have to change anything the way yeah. I coach defensive line. It's yeah. the same, you know? Um, and that, that, so that made it, a really easy transition uh, for me. I know that, um, and this is something that Coach Irwin and I talked about in his episode, that you know, everybody, whenever I talk to D-line coaches who know I have a podcast, you know, we're talking about, hey, what, was, what are some things you want to talk about? Everybody wants to talk about four eyes because you're right, like sure. the tight front is is kind of, that's that's kind of the, uh, the, the hot thing right now and playing two yep. four eyes. And, um, and so just talk about how you're coaching up those four eye techniques and, and just what goes into that. So, our, so our, our front's a little bit different, okay? And and so when you watch, uh, you know, uh, LSU and some of those type of teams play, they're in hard, they're in hard four eyes on both sides. Mm-hmm. And we actually play a lot of three techniques, okay? And so we're more like, if you watch NFL football, like the Patriots and some of those kind of teams, they play a lot of three techniques out of the bare front, yeah. tight front stuff. And in college, it's four eye stuff. So it's kind of weird. And so we play a lot of three techniques as well as four eyes, okay? Um, but we do that because, you know, when you're playing a three technique, essentially if I'm playing 303, those three are going to take up all five offensive linemen. Yeah. Okay? When you're playing a heavy four eye, guards can get to your second level pretty fast, some of those kind of things. Um, we found ways to manipulate blocking schemes by having a certain – you know, a three or a four eye or a tight three or a loose three or whatever, or whatever that is, how to force a block. You know, if I'm a four eye, 
a center doesn't have to block me back in the gap scheme. He can, they can double the nose to the backside back right. because the guard can pull and the tackle can overtake me. Okay. Well, in a, in a three technique that forces that center to block back. Yeah. Let's say attach it tight in. They're not blocking your backside back. He's going to tee off all day on, yeah. that, on those corners. Yeah. And so yeah. just finding out how to manipulate some fronts and, and your backside of zone, you're in the hip pocket real quick. You know, they're cutting, if they're cut off blocking on the backside, um, it's hard to run inside zone against it. Uh, if you're a four eye, there are some vertical cut lanes, some of those things. And so that's why we utilize more three technique stuff than a lot of people probably. Um, we're also getting that stuff you talked about. You call it a flex. I call it a Bamba technique. We put a five technique away from the back, but he's still the B gap player. Yeah. Any aggressive block Adam, he's going to play thick through the inside half of the tackle, some of those kind of things. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, but essentially, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to, we're trying to get hands on and, and, um, you know, our, our pre-snap eye control is something that I think is a little bit different, uh, than a lot of people do. We look at the near knee of the offensive line we're lined up on. So whether I'm a, if I'm a four eye, I'm going to look at the near knee of the offensive tackle. If I'm a three technique, I'm going to look at the near knee of the offensive guard. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that first step, think about what offensive linemen work on all the time. It's the footwork. Yeah. Okay. And so we're going to take that footwork and use it against them. And when we started doing that a long time ago, where guys started playing really, really fast, you know, I mean, if that, think about it, if that knee comes straight at me, it's a base drop block. Right. Um, if that knee breaks inside or outside, it's an inside or outside release. Um, if that knee crosses my face, it's a reach cutoff block, you know, and so it really helps them play really, really fast. And so, um, so we play threes and four eyes. Um, I think a lot of people like the four eyes because they feel like it makes that edge a little bit longer, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I get it and I understand. And we, right now in our base football, we play a four eye to a three man surface because, that's how teams try to beat the tight front is they're going to put a tight end yep. on the ball yep. and try to attack the seed yet. Yep. And so, um, so we do play a four eye a lot of times to a three man surface and, and, uh, for those reasons to try to shrink that seed gap a little bit. Um, but we are, we are hands on and, and striking people and trying to play on their sideline scrimmage. You know, I, I love, I love the idea of playing two, three techniques and, and, you know, you talked about sometimes how that can make it, you know, a 3-4 can sometimes be tough to, to pass rush out of. Well, you know, if you're, if you're walking up your outside backers uh, and those tackles are having to, to, to honor those guys, well, now, yep. now you have one-on-one blocks uh, with yeah. those guards and those interior guys. And that center, you know, he's got to pop out. He can only help one way. And so that's another way that you can get. And, you know, those guys are in the quarterback's face now, you know, and those quarterbacks don't like pressure right up the gut because they, they feel it immediately. Even if you don't – even if it doesn't hit home, they can feel Feel that, and they can't step up, and there's 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 body parts in their line of vision. So I, I love that, and and, and uh, you know really that's definitely something I want to look into as as we move along. So then now talk about you know with your outside backers how you're playing those guys, uh, you know because again uh, with, with with two three techniques now you got to make sure you have leverage points outside or you're going to get get eaten alive. So talk about how you're playing those guys. Well, you know, just rewind a little bit to your pass rush question. Our rule is B-gap to bounce for those front guys. And so we're going to try to take it vertical to the B-gap first. If it gets cloudy, we're going to bounce it out yeah. to the C-gap. Yeah. Okay. Um, but if it's clear, like if that backer's on uh, on the line and he's holding that tackle, we're going to take that thing right through, through the B-gap, like you said. 
Um, and so it is very good out of a pass rush. And I try to, to need to understand when, when, when I got an outside backer next to me, it's probably going to be a clear. Yeah. I got a guy that's not next to me. He's an apex. It's probably going to be a cloudy because they don't have anything else to do. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and the other thing we found was the nose tackle gets the most single blocks run or pass into defense. Yeah. Um, because they have to honor those B gap guys. When you're a heavy four eye, that sit that that guard can go help on the nose tackle and do those things. Yeah. And three, those two have those both guard and tackle have to block the three techniques. That nose is one on one, a lot run and pass. Okay. And so, talking about our outside backers, um, we essentially have two two different alignments. Uh, we're either in the hip, which is basically on the line in a five or a nine technique. Okay, or we could be in an apex. Okay, and so we put those guys apex. Um, if the back is, we, we use back set. So if the back's on our side, um, you know we're gonna be we're gonna be apex to inside shade of two, depending on split. If the back's away from us, we're gonna max width as apex because they are the edge guy, and uh, we use what we call a key step, and so. On the snap of the ball, you're going to see all four of our linebackers kind of bounce in place, okay, because of the RPO game. Yeah. All right? And, I mean, you, you just, watch, just watch football. Watch high school, college, pro. It don't matter. The, the, that outside backer sees a flash fake, and he's two to three steps down in there. Yes. quarterback pulls and throws it. Yeah. He now has to turn and run the other way. Right. Well, he's wasted three to four steps. Our guys are just going to sit there, especially if we're on the side of the back. They're not going to move. They're going to key step, and when you pull it and throw it, we're in position to run inside out and, and make a play because there's somebody, you know, got a DB forcing it back into you um, if they're passing it on the perimeter. Um, but they are the force guy. Our outside backers force everything. Uh, we don't spill anything. Their job is never let anything cross your face. And so um, they are force players, and if, I'm, if I got the back away and they mesh the ball, then I'm going to get it. You know, and so that's why we do sprinkle in some of that, that flex technique like you were talking about. It helps kind of keep that edge long. And and um, I heard a guy say one time it keeps the ball from running off the table too fast. And right. so uh, that's why we do do some of that stuff with the five technique away from the back um, to help those guys, um, you know. But but the outside backers are our force players. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's their job to feed the box which is our our D linemen and our inside linebackers. And it's our D linemen and inside linebackers job to get it to the force guys. Walk through how you're how you're coaching those guys to set an edge. They get flow at them. What are they what are they doing? They're taking their key step, their pop pop, they see it's run. You know, now now what are go, they doing? They're gonna go set an edge two to three yards up the field. Okay. Okay. So if I'm in the hip, if I'm in the hip means I'm on the line in a five or a nine and I get hip at me from a tackle or a tight end, whoever it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press that thing vertical two to three yards and feed the box, make it go inside. Um, if I'm an apex, I'm a key step, uh, backs away from me, I see mesh, ball in the belly, I'm freaking taking off, and I say, God block you. Don't let a wide receiver block you. You know, go go, go get it. Um, and generally, there's nobody to block those guys. Obviously, they can produce a split and some of those different things. But, yeah. but uh, they got, they got to pull the trigger and – and get the ball back inside. So we talk about setting hard edges two to three yards up the field is kind of our landmark. Yeah. 
Do you have a problem with your three techs getting washed washed down, you know, and stuff like that where maybe it's a, you know, it's gap scheme stuff or the tackle's going to block down and, and kind of double yep. on that three and off? Like, how are they, how are they, how are you coaching them up to play that? Well, you know, what you got to understand when you play a three technique, you are going to give up more wash. Um, basically, what we tell them is you can never get washed to the other side of the football. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can get washed B to A. That's okay. All right. Um, but, but what we talk about is, um, if I feel that down, down pressure, we're going to hip into it and climb vertical. Yeah. Um, I don't want to stay flat on what I call, that's called the wash path. That's what I call the wash path. If you stay flat, you're just going to get in the wash path and get washed. So as soon as I recognize, I see, I see stuff flashing across my face, pullers, and I feel that down pressure. I got to hip into it and climb vertical to get off of the wash path is kind of how we teach that. I like that because, I, I, again, that's – I'm just thinking of, of guys who are listening to this and they're going, three techniques where you're just going to get washed down and, and we're going to we're gonna collapse that side. And now you kind of got your outside backer uh, a little bit on on an island on, on an island some. So, yeah, that's definitely – and Coach Irwin, that kind of reminds me a little bit of, of your, your Braille technique that you're coaching. You know, as you as – I, as I feel that guard go down, you know, my, my hands immediately probably transfer to the to the tackle. Is that is that right, Coach Kuhn? Is that – Kind of what, the, what we, they would we do. talk about hip. I say hip into the tackle. Um, if we're in a three technique and I'm attacking the guard, I'm pressure. I'm going to hip and hit my basically switch my weight yeah. into that tackle and try to climb vertical to get out of that wash path. Um, and then at the end of the day, if they don't have an attached tight end, they can't block both your inside backers who are, yeah. who are gap adjust fit on the pullers. Right, right. So we're two on one on the puller, and here we go. And that's been one of the, the nice things that, uh, when we've kind of transitioned to some three techniques this year with our bare front um, that we did have to kind of work with our D linemen to make sure that they're not getting washed to the other side of the ball. And, and that does kind of require like, like what coach was talking about with, you know, kind of hipping in and, and trying to make sure that you're uh, almost the way that I, I teach how to, how to get a double team or how to defeat a double team of trying to hip into that uh, so that you don't get washed down Um but yeah, as long as those outside backers are setting that edge, then you should have two, three players coming right over the top to, to stop any kind of power counter coming through there. And sure. and, and, and we had we had a lot of success with that. Um, but but part of the reason that we did a lot of the four eyes was because of that wash issue. Yeah, um, no doubt. And, and and yeah, that's I think that's what a lot of especially high school coaches are worried about. Well, and that's one reason we do it to a three-man surface because now yeah, absolutely now the tight end he can go he can go hit one of your inside backers in the face. Well, there's not an attached tight end. Who's going to block the other back? There isn't anybody. They can GT. They can pull it on GT and do that kind of stuff. Okay, but but at the end of the day, like you can't you can't block you can't pin the backer, and so mm-hmm. it's okay to get washed. You know, now three te- now three man surface. Now they can get that thing tied into my backer. So now I want to really play. I want to keep that edge as long as I can. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so one thing we talk about is. We're still going to work. We're going to work vertical through the near shoulder of the of the tackle in a four eye. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, we're not going to just sit there and and fight with the guy. You know, we're going to work vertical through his near shoulder and, and and try to get some some penetration and then maybe take out puller. You know, um, so it's still an aggressive deal for us. 
Uh, Coach, no lag technique with your nose, which I- I'm sure has a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe listen to this kind of sh- shaking their fist at, uh, you know, who, who like to play that. Um, uh, we play a lot of shade with our nose and, and yep. um, you know, but I, I want to hear about how you're coaching up uh, with your, with your, with your, with your zero, your head up nose guard. What do you, how are you coaching him up and just talk about his techniques and things that he's doing? Well, my, my thing is if you're teaching a lag technique, Okay, well, uh, right now you have the, 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 the nose tackle before the snap. What's he doing? He's thinking. Right. All right. If you're a D-lineman, you're thinking, wrong answer, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. because they're not thinkers. Yeah. It is what it is. And so if you got a guy thinking, oh, i got to play the backside here, don't think. So we take all the thinking out of it. Think about it. If I'm going vertical and the center stepping left, I'm going to end up on the backside anyways. So I would say – 90% of the time we end up in lag technique. I just don't teach it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. so what I teach is we're teeing off on the center. We're going vertical. Okay. And I'm going to press through the near shoulder of the center. So if I'm going straight and he steps to my right, then my, my right hand is going to be on his near, near number, near shoulder, you know, and I'm not going to worry about playing for the front side or doing any of that. We got some fronts where we can shade them away from the back. You know, we can do some different things. We can slant them away from the back. We can slant them to the tight end. Um, but the but the inside linebackers are going to make him right. And so whatever A-gap he plays, he can't be wrong. The only time he's wrong is when the guard on either side overtakes him. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so um, he has an A-gap. And then one of our inside backers have an A gap. We call it open A, cut back C. We call it open A because I don't know which A it's going to be. Right. Uh, you got to key step and find out. Yeah. And so yeah. the nose tackle is, it, I say it's easy. It's easy from an assignment standpoint, but I do think there is some technique to it, learning how to press that near shoulder and stay square. And, and uh, I believe if you can, if you can crush the apex, the apex of a formation, you can, you can shut down the run game primarily. Oh, inside for run. sure. For sure, and so that's yeah. that's the number one thing we're trying to do is is just destroy the apex of that formation. If we can destroy the middle of that formation, then I feel like we got a great chance to stop the the run game. You know, we you know we came away from I guess last year's kind of clinic season with a little bit enamored with the the idea of the lag, and so uh, I think by the time I got to uh, uh, you know the, the podcast the first time, you know I was talking a little bit about the lag technique and. And, and we were really excited about this. But much like you said, you know, when, if you've got D-line and thinking, you're, you're already wrong. Yeah. And <laughs> so we, we ended up basically doing exactly what you talked about. I, it transitioned from this kind of theoretical, like it doesn't matter where, you know, which A-gap you wind up in. Well, sure. That had my guys thinking. And so immediately it became, you know what, don't worry about it, buddy. Just go knock the snot out of the center, yeah. you know, and just sure. come off the ball as hard as you can. Because, like you said, whatever a gap he winds up in, he's wrong or he's right. The only thing he can't do is get overtaken by the center. And so, yep. you know, took the thinking out of it. And, and then what we saw uh, all year was the more we could destroy a center or get pushed back. You know, we were seeing fumbled snaps. We were yep. seeing all. It just there's a myriad of things that go right when you can really disrupt the center formation. I don't think that's revolutionary football. I think everybody's no. known that from you know time immortal. But sure. uh, at the same time, I, I think that emphasizing you know play fast play hard play physical and and don't make those guys think (laughs) no i I agree and you know that's a deal where but but if you you go back and look at your film 
I would say 80, 80 to ninety percent of the nose tackle snaps in base football, he ended he ended, he ended up in lag technique. You're just oh yeah, you're just not you're just not teaching it. Yeah, exactly. You're just not yeah. you're just not putting that in his brain. He might end up that way, and you know that, and I know that. But he doesn't need to think about that. He just needs yeah. to go out and tee off on somebody and, and try to wreak havoc. You know, that's essentially yeah. all, all he needs to worry about. And he can get a dang three point stance. On. Just tee off on, on you know, I tell him to try to bend the center's face mask. Yeah. Go, you know, and I love it. And and just I just the, the less thinking the better and, and I get it, I get the lag t- but I just I personally I think that's clinic talk and and uh you know, I think it slows people down and does it makes them less aggressive in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. No, I you know, I think what what you've done with okay, you got, you know, two, three ticks and now your 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 center your nose guard is head up and teeing off. I mean, you've made the nose guard the glamour position of that defensive front and when in the history of football has that, that ever been the case, you know? Well, well that's what I'm saying. I mean <laughs> that sucker, he's getting all the single blocks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, you know, 'cause you know, the thing is look this, so when we go a four eye, I don't really change my alignment, I just change my hand. Our base alignment is a gap alignment, nose in the gap in between the guard and the tackle. And so I might be in the same alignment, whether I'm a three or a four eye. I'm just changing my eyes and my yeah. hands. Yeah. That's really all I'm doing. You know, we're not going to get tighter to the tackle or, or do any of that. We're just going to change our hand. You know, and so now I might be a four eye, but they still have to honor me like a three technique. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. And so uh, 2018, my last year at SEMO, uh, we won nine games and went to the second round of playoffs. And we had the FCS National Defensive Player of the Year was an inside linebacker. Well, Sucker had 150 tackles because nobody blocked him. Yeah. You know, you're in <laughs> that bare front, and those inside backers don't get blocked too much. Right. And so it's really freeing up your second-level guys. And, and a lot of you know coaches argue, well, I don't have big people and those kind of things. It's all relative. You know, I mean, a lot of high school guys aren't playing against 6'5", 310 pounds every week, kind of like we are. Right, And so you don't necessarily need to have all those guys like that either, you know. Yeah. And so I think it's all relative to your level of football um, out there, personally. Yeah, I I think that if you can have some guys who, like you talked about, who can can dent the the formation, you know, who can – Make that make that line of scrimmage bubble to where now you have the run game working east and west, and they're not hitting those quick uh, vertical run seams, you know, on on inside zone or uh, you yeah. know, or even a stretch on a cutback or something like that. I mean, you ain't running inside zone versus bare front. Yeah, you're usually just not. You're not yeah. doing it. You yeah. know, I mean, um, it's it it takes away when you line up in a bare front, you've automatically eliminated half a team's run game. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's important and so initially it was hard because you know you don't a lot of the teams had you know the tie front wasn't real popular 2014 to 2016-ish and so we didn't see a lot of film on guys facing it and so we didn't really know how they were going to attack it so through the years we've learned a lot of lessons on here's what people are going to do here are common things people are going to do to attack our front because it's kind of like the triple option of defense you know, yeah. um, it is different. And so um, after learning those things, you know, it really helps you helps you be better at defending that stuff. I want to go back to something that you talked about uh, sort of at the beginning of this. When we we're talking about, you know, this transition from the 4 the five to the 3-4. Uh, uh-huh. You talked about how you, you have one word, uh, one word defensive call like, and, and one signal. And as a guy who 
uh, you know, our coordinator, he's on the sideline uh, with me, and he's telling me what, what he wants, and I'm signaling in. And, and sometimes those signals can get a little a little hairy, you know, as you're trying to get the front and the secondary and, and everything and the tags and stuff. So how in the world are you able to do that, uh, able to do, you know, stick with one, one signal, one call, and, and, and everybody knows what to do? Well, I think it's all – here's my deal in, in coaching and teaching – one of my one of my sayings is it's all in presentation. Yeah. So how you present it is how they're going to learn it. And so you present it that way. Hey, when we say this word or whatever, I'm just going to make up a word. When I say red, here's what it means. Well, that's how they're going to learn it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so so we're on the sidelines. We have two signals. We have a front signal and a secondary signal. So sometimes you might they might get two different signals. Yeah, I got that makes you. sense. Yep. And so sometimes, a lot of times, they get the same signal. Sometimes they get different signals. Sometimes, if we want a different front, we might have two signals. We might have a front signal and then a coverage signal, if that makes sense, for yeah. the linebackers. But it's one to two word calls, um, you know, and I, again, I think it's all in presentation, and they have to be able to, uh, you know, uh, remember some stuff. And they got to know – so if I'm a, if you're a D lineman in my program, you know, there might be ten different words, but for you they all mean bear. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I get I give them a sheet. I'm saying, okay, these words equal bear. So if you're any of these words, bear. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so again, it's all in presentation, and it's all about the teaching part of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and being able to to you know correlate that stuff with those guys. And so now when the team's going fast tempo on the ball, all we got to do is one, one signal, one word, and we can line up and play. Yeah. 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 That's been great. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. That makes sense because, you know, in my, in my previous uh, school, we were, we were, we, we signaled off armbands and, you know, the D line had a different armband and then the linebackers yep. had a different armband and, and secondary. So like, you know, 13 through, uh, you know, 17 or 18 or 19 whatever it was was the same thing for the d-line so they knew like the teens you know if you threw up a a one and a three or one and a five like they they really got to where they didn't have to look because they knew that's just playing this but then the linebackers it could be something different for them so they might need to look you know they'd have to look but again it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot going on so yeah that was kind of that's 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 kind of along that same uh school of thought it's real similar you know we we do that, and if we're playing a tempo team, the last thing we're going to do is an armband because we don't want them looking down. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. So, um, you know, I think so. We don't wear a lot of armbands because we don't want their eyes down. We want to get yeah. their eyes on the signal, they get their eyes on the formation or, yeah. the, or the front or whatever it is. But yeah, it's the exact same thing, and and um, like I said, it's all in presentation. Coach Irwin, how are y'all signaling uh, the play call to your to your guys? You know, we got a little bit of a mix of all of it. Um, we have had to go to some wristbands just because, um, you know, kind of a, a small coaching community up here, really. And uh, and so we've had a, a, a number of our coaches are kind of spread out, and, and they kind of know some of the things that we do. So yeah, we yeah. have to, to play that close to the, some games. Um, but I would say that, you know, our base calls, our base calls will have maybe one or two words. Uh, but most of our stunts, we've started to transition kind of to what Coach is talking about, where it's just, we have one word, and and that gives the kids every kind of, of – and that, that tells them everything that they need to know. When we introduce a stunt, you know, 
the moment we start teaching it, like, okay, so this is our sword uh, stunt, and sword means we're going to line up in our, you know, uh, smash front, and we're going to we're going to be in our box coverage in the back end, and we're going to do some of these very basic things, um, and then here's kind of what makes it different, you know. Uh, so it, I, I completely agree with coaching that the more one word signals that you can get, the the more efficient you can get, and really. It's, it's scary because there's a lot of teaching up front, and that's probably the thing that I think people are always scared about introducing a new concept to kids because you're like, well, are they going to be able to get it? Can we, can we get that down? But, again, it's just like Coach said, it's just all in how you present it, and the more you do that, the, the better they get it at doing it. It's just like anything. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, we got a call. We can send the, the boundary corner, the boundary outside backer, loop the – D-line to the field, play quarters to the field, play man to the boundary with one word. Wow. <laughs> and one word and one signal. You know, we yeah. do well, whatever it is. And that's kind of how it's and, – and, and, and you can do that because it's it's built that way. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. built that way. It's taught that way. And, you know, you're going to get what you emphasize, you know. Yeah. And, and I think you talked about guys knowing your signals and different things and knowing what you're doing. That's a problem. And so – or if we ever play a team where we have, think that's a problem, number one, we can use a wristband we have in the past. Don't like it against fast-tempo teams. But number two, we might, we might have three signalers and one guy's hot, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. And, uh, find ways to change those up um, as much as you can, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely with the signaling, the, the kids having input was a big thing for us. Um, and, I, you know, one of the weeks that we knew that, there was going to be a coach on the other side who knew a whole lot of what was going on. Sure. We told the kids straight up. We said, we, we know that this guy, he knows you guys, you know him. He knows our calls. You know, yep. This is just, this is a reality that we have to face in, in this world. So what are some things that you guys want to do to help kind of change things up a little bit? And because they had buy-in into that whole system, boom, sure. I mean, it, it didn't take hardly anything for them to switch many of their play calls for that week. And then we went right back to next week and we were fine. Well, what you run into in, in, in college football, especially Division One football, hell, the other team probably has a guy with binoculars looking at you, and by the end of the first quarter, they got a list, and they're going to know exactly, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. obviously, high school and small college, we don't have that many people to, to do that if we wanted to. Uh, but it, it is a problem, you know. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, uh, if you line up and you execute, it's going to be tough to beat you, you know. True story. It kind of is what it is, and – and uh, you got to believe that too, I think. You know, you got to believe. Um, and the other thing that allows you to do is it allows you to, you know, if, if an offense changes, then we can change. You know, when they look to the sideline, we look and we can change the call too. You know, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes it's amazing what offensive coaches change into. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're sitting there like, why did they do that? Yeah. You know, um, and so, you know, it, it, it turns into kind of a cat and mouse game a little bit. Um, but but I, I remember in the four two five days as a, as a defensive coordinator, I was also the signaler. I was always on small stats. At the end of the game, I would have a huge headache from just thinking and signaling, and I'm, I'm signaling, talking, and I'm these one sit, these one freaking big sentence calls, and I'm just like my ears are smoking. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And so now it really really helps you, I think, be a better play caller. You're not worried about spitting out words. You're able to really think through stuff and, and make a good call. Yeah, for sure, uh, Coach. I saw that uh, you know you've you've uh, in this in this kind of this time that we're in right now with this with you know everybody being on quarantine and 
coaches who usually have no time to spare almost uh, suddenly have have an un, sometimes seems like an unlimited amount of time. And I yeah. saw I saw that you have uh, you you know you put on a virtual D line clinic on on, on Zoom, uh, which which everybody's using now. And and uh, and you know I think that's a really cool thing. And and I've already taken part in a few of those. Um, you know, since, since this, all this stuff has gone down. So just talk about that and, and what that's allowed you to do and, and just some of the things that you've covered in those discussions. You know, I think from a personal philosophy standpoint, I think it's, I feel like it's my duty as I guess an experienced, more experienced coach nowadays to, to share my knowledge with others, you know, and help, help, help guys grow. And obviously, uh, the minute you stop seeking knowledge in this profession is the minute you die in it, and and you should always be seeking knowledge. And and so I think one thing that you know, uh, especially as a Division One coach and as a head coach, I didn't have a lot of time to do those kind of things, you know. And so now that I have time, um, you know, I'm going to try to make a difference in in somebody's life and in something that might be the it might be the smallest thing to me it might be earth shattering to a middle school or a high school coach. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you just never know. And so I do my best, you know, and they, this is a time when, you know, coaches, especially high level coaches are very, very guarded people, you know? And I just, I, in my brain, I always told myself, never forget where you came from, you know, and never forget what, what got you to where you've been. And, and uh, I think a big part of that for me is um, just sharing my knowledge with coaches. And so we did that D-line clinic and, you know, we probably had 30 guys on there. And it was just a great opportunity for me to get to talk some football and, and, and answer some guys' questions. And maybe I think every time I talk to a group about playing three techniques instead of four eyes, I change a couple of minds. Oh you know, and, yeah, you you definitely gave me something to think about for sure. You know, for sure. <laughs> some of those things, and sometimes it's you just have to explain stuff to people, and and uh, you know, I think I just think that's our duty as coaches is to help each other any way we can. Um, obviously, you know, I'm going to do some more stuff. We're going to get into some some kind of deep into some of that three four stuff, and, and obviously some of that will probably be I'll be a little more guarded with you know you don't want guys you're playing every week to know everything you do obviously but but there are some things when people watch film they're going to know who you are you know and it is what it is once you get a couple games on film there aren't many secrets anymore yeah um and then we're not doing anything i don't think earth shattering and so but i'm going to continue to share some of that stuff and i just feel like um that's that's who i am i like to help people and and if i can help a coach grow then i want to take that opportunity and and right now unfortunately my team isn't here, and so um, when when I have an opportunity uh, to do that, you know, I'm going to share that knowledge. Coach Coon, you're talking to a bunch of D line coaches, you know, and just a, 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 probably mostly assistant coaches tuning in, uh, just because there's more of those guys around uh, than, than head coaches. But uh, you're talking to guys who are probably uh, aspiring coordinators and also head coaches like yourself. You know, what advice would you give to those guys who are trying to climb the ladder and become a coordinator or a head coach? Well, I think number one is start by being the head coach of your position. Um, you know, if you're a D-line coach, you need to know everything about that group of young men. You need to know off the field, on the field, personal life. 
you know, you need to be, you need to, you need to know exactly what's going on with that group at all times. And there needs never be any surprises that go to the head coach. Okay. And that's a great place to start is be the head coach of your own position. Um, I would say something that when I was a young coach, it was very uncomfortable for me, but man, I'm glad I did it. Um, getting yourself outside of your little box and learning the rest of the defense, you know, and learning what do the linebackers do, what do the secondary do, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, as a position coach, you tend to get locked into your your little section. And so that's something where if you're just in that D-line box and you get that opportunity to be a coordinator, well, now you're like, well, what do the linebackers do? What do the DBs do? You need to know it all. And so, you know, you get into meetings, staff meetings, and when the DB coach starts talking, don't shut your brain off. Listen, take notes. You know, and you know, a, you know, a thought, a thought, a thought not written down is a thought lost. And so, make sure you are, you're taking notes and just learning football. You know, whatever scheme you're in, learn everything about it. You know, man. And when I became a D line coach at SEMO, I've been a coordinator for a long time, and so right away I kind of got back in my box, and I'm like, you know, I got to get, I got to get back to the to the scheme of things. And so I started, I basically approached it like I was calling the game. So, you know, if, if something happened, I could still call the game as the D line coach, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, so, for sure. Um, so I think approaching it that way and not getting locked into your box and saying, well, when I'm a coordinator, you know, I'll learn this stuff. Well, that's too late. Yeah. If you want to be yeah. a coordinator, all right, you need to learn it now. If you want to be a head coach, you need to start now by number one, being a head coach of your position and making sure you're running that thing like it's 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 a team within a team. Those would be my things um, that I would say. So as you transition from being that position coach to that coordinator, uh, kind of two parts here. What what was the thing that you found most challenging, and then what was the thing that you found most rewarding uh, during that transition? Well, I think one of the most challenging things is uh, as as ready as you think you are, you're not. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, now I'm I'm the I'm the now I'm the guy everybody's looking at. Yeah. All right. What's the game plan? <laughs> you know, I'm the guy that, you know, I, I have to tell the DB coach what I want. I have to tell the linebacker coach what I want. So obviously managing that, managing a staff, you know, as a coordinator, obviously you're managing a small staff, um, and and just just having to go through those processes and. And you think you have an eye plan, but when you get into it, the plan changes. And so um, I think be ready for that change and embrace the change and just kind of, I, I call it trial through fire. I'm, I'm coordinator in the Kansas Jayhawk Conference, and, and uh, I just I just learned on the fly. You know, and you have to, um, you know, you have to have a low ego and be willing to take some take some bumps and, and learn from them and, and don't try to be don't try to be something you're not you know um do what got you to that place be who you are um and that's probably the most challenging thing was just all of a sudden having the staff and, and be in charge of a full unit and everything that goes on with it i think the most rewarding thing is and it's whether you're a coordinator or a head coach the most rewarding thing is when you when you implement a plan and you see it start to take shape yeah. You hear guys, you hear coaches and players speaking your language. You see coaches and players doing things that you talk about doing. And, and, and so that probably to me 
is the most rewarding thing is being able to implement a plan and seeing that plan unfold before your eyes is to me uh, very very rewarding going back to the beginning of your career coach as you're uh, kind of uh, you know making your stops and climbing the ladder I'm sure there was no one who set you down and said hey uh, if you're ever the head coach of a, of a program and there's there's all of a sudden this national pandemic hits and you're you're completely shut down and your team is sent home here's here's how you handle that right like yeah. every head coach right now there is no precedence for this like there is no uh, oh, well, let me go back and read in this book what so-and-so did and how he got through this. So everybody's kind of like figuring it out for themselves, and and it's it's kind of learning on, on, the, on, the, on the go, kind of like what you talked about. It's a trial by fire right now. So sure. I'm just curious, you know, as a head coach, how have you handled the uncertainty of this current situation we're facing in our country right now, you know, with your team as far as staying in contact with those guys and, and trying to spin this thing into a positive as much as you can? Well, I think part of my getting ready to be head coach, a big part of that was the last five years I spent at Southeast Missouri State working for Tom Matukowicz, who's who's a great man and a, and a great football coach and, and one of the most, one of the calmest dudes I've ever been around in adversity. You know, when a lot of guys would be losing their mind, this guy's even kill and he can he, and think through stuff and not try to overreact and do those things. And so I learned that from him. You know, when you when, when when something happens, you know you just kind of have to pause, and 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 control the controllables. You know, um, I was disappointed. I was mad that we're losing spring practice, and and I got 50 sophomores here who are losing opportunities to get live evaluations from four-year coaches. Um, you know, there's just a lot of emotions that you go through. You know, you're we're going into the second year of a program. This spring was our first spring with our our full cl- first full class and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's really easy to get negative, you yeah. know, and, and I could get as mad as I want, but it isn't going to change things. And so what I did was I just kind of paused and, and I just started to think about what can I do to help make our players' lives as easy as possible, you know, through this transition. Um, I didn't think about myself. I thought about the players and, and we had just went on spring break. Okay. So we went on spring break. So this hits basically during spring break. Okay. For us. And so I got all these kids who are gone. There's a couple still here on campus at this time. And, and my first thing was, you know, what are they thinking? Because all this stuff gets put out on social media and all this stuff and people start freaking out. And so, uh, we immediately I had the position coaches reach out to their positions and uh, kind of just give them an give them an update on where we were at and, and step by step and and uh, so we just kind of created a plan to we transition to all online classes um, which is a challenge you know a lot of these guys don't do a good job learning online so we're going to have to be very very involved as as coaches and uh, it goes back to be the head coach of your position I'm going to my position coaches are responsible for the academic and on-field production of their players. And I'm going to hold them accountable just like I hold the players accountable. And, and uh, that's just kind of how it is. And and so I'm going to lean on the assistant coaches to handle their positions. Obviously, I'm going to put the plan in place and, and um, you know, expect them to to execute it and, and help them do so. And so we're, we're doing online classes. Uh, I meet with my staff video video meetings like a lot of people are doing 
nowadays. Um, we're going to do uh, once a week, Mondays. We're going to do academic. We're going to do face-to-face academic meetings with each player individually through video messaging, obviously. Um, and we're going to go through their week, so it's planned out. They know what's going on. We know what's going on. So we're organized, and then we're going to take one day a week and do a position meeting, start talking football, continue our install, do all those kind of things. And then we're going to have some times where we'll have some team meetings. I'll make everybody get on the probably Zoom, and that way I can see their faces, they can see my face, and and uh, talk about whatever we need to talk about. And so um, those are some of the challenges we're facing. Our kids, most of their stuff is still in the dorm. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. we have to you're gonna have to get it packed up and either ship them what they need and store some of it. And so there's just a lot of layers to this thing. And, and every single day, I take it day by day right now. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, trying not to get too far ahead because, like you said, nobody knows what to do. Uh, we're just we're just all learning together. Yeah, you know, for and sure. I think, um, I have my opinions, but my opinions don't matter. Um, you have to, you have to pause and just control what you control and do the best you can to stay, you know, for nation. Um, I feel like I, I have to over-organize things to make it make sense to me. And so that's kind of what I've been doing. Spent a lot of time. I think I woke up at four 30 in the morning the other day cause my brain would shut off and, and, uh, you know, started writing stuff down and went to Walmart to watch those crazy people and uh, all this kind of stuff so <laughs> it's been an experience for sure um but we're going to try to make it make it uh make it into a positive at the end of the day every every college football program is in the same position yeah. we are in nobody yeah. has spring practice <laughs> you know what i mean so, yeah yeah we're at a disadvantage you know and, and i think for me personally it's been frustrating but it's also been i have four kids and and we, we've ate dinner at the dinner table more in the last two weeks than we have in the last year. Yeah, for sure. You know, and we've had that opportunity um, to spend more time to get, you know, what a coach is griping about all the time. I don't get enough time with my people, right? That's what every coach in America that has a family gripes about. Yeah. And so now you're getting that. So number one, you better make the most of it. Okay. Make the most of this family time. You better use, I told my coaches today, use this time to get better at your craft, studying the game, um, you know, technique, scheme, everything. You know, we, we should have the, the best teach tapes in America because they got time to work on. Obviously, um, you know, handling their players. Um, and then one thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do things like this where I can actually, you know, try to help other coaches. Yeah. Know? So those are yeah. kind of my goals right now is, is use this family time to my advantage uh, make sure our team handles this and keep keep learning myself. I'm seeking knowledge from you know, other head coach and and uh, obviously trying to give knowledge where I can. So that's yeah. kind of our process right now. I think that's a great way to go about it. And I love what you said about, you know, how can you make your players, how can you make life uh, as easy as possible for your players? Because, you know, we as coaches – you know, we probably we have a little more of uh, some steady ground to stand on, whereas those guys, like you said, they only they can't even go back to their dorm and pick up their stuff, and then yeah. half of them don't have much. You know, a lot of them don't have much of a home to go home to, and and I'm oh. thinking about our kids here. You know, 
being home is, you know, and this isn't all of them, but there are a few that where home is the last place they want to be, you know. Yeah. Uh, and now they're forced I mean. to be there day in and day out, and that can be really isolating for them. And so I think that's yeah. definitely an important uh, point that we have to remember is that we have to keep it, – it's th- those guys' well-being comes – comes you know first i say first but we we definitely need to be taking care of our families also but we definitely need to well, be thinking and having a plan involved for a plan in mind for for those guys if it wasn't for these players none of us would have a job yeah yeah and so right. we better make sure and this is my philosophy in our whole program we're always doing things to to help the players move forward yep you know for sure trying to make their transition as easy as possible and obviously it's hard being a being a football player whether it's high school or college it's hard work you know but trying to you know make it as smooth of a, of a deal as you can because at the end of the day man it's just you know, we wouldn't be employed if it wasn't for these kids yeah you know? yeah you're right well coach as we uh as we get ready to wrap this thing up uh, kind of end on a uh, a lighter note here um and and i you know Whenever I get a chance to talk to college coaches, I always ask them uh, about some you know wild or crazy recruiting stories. And I'm sure you know being you know a JUCO coach for so long, and and that can be wild and woolly sometimes. And those recruiting battles. And again, I remember just being in Mississippi, and and that was that could get pretty crazy. For, uh, you know between those those battles between those JUCOs. Uh, so just talk. Give us your best or, or most unusual recruiting story from your time as a college coach. You know, I've been I've been thinking about it, and and obviously there's probably some doozies out there. You know, I know, <laughs> I know. That one thing I want to share is um, one of the great things about being a college football coach is is when you when you offer a kid and a family a scholarship in person, and you can see their faces light up. There's not a better feeling than that. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Number, number one. Especially when you know coaching at Division One level, I was obviously able to offer a lot of full scholarships, not all of them at FCS, but but a lot of them, and to just see a family react, you know. And sometimes you walk into home visit, and there might be ten people in there, yeah, <laughs> you know, you just yeah. never know. And to just see the reaction of these people, you you truly change this this person and this family's life. And so that to me is is just awesome, and I love that part of it. Um, I think, you know, there's a, there's a deal. Uh, I was at SEMO and, uh, we were, uh, in Memphis recruiting in North Memphis and that's kind of a rough area. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, and the D coordinator and I were together and we go to this apartment complex and uh, we're driving around and it's a, it's an abandoned apartment complex. And, uh, like it's shut down there's boards on everything you know calling this kid like where you live and he's telling us and, and we finally see there's one light on in this abandoned place and they were living basically in an abandoned building wow and and there was like one way in and one way out and you're in this evening and you're kind of like oh my gosh this is yeah yeah this is rough and you walk in and, and there's a family you know they're the only ones living in this complex and and um, that was probably one of the roughest situations that I've seen. Yeah, wow. You know, um, in, in Memphis, and, and but at the end of the day, it was a kid and a family who was who blue collar people. They're good, good people, hardworking people, and those are the kind of guys I like to recruit because they appreciate stuff. Yeah, for sure. You, know, you give them a sweatshirt or a pair of shoes, they appreciate it. 
Um, you know they're going to work hard. But they probably don't want to go home like we talked about. Yeah, earlier. yeah. So uh, that was just kind of a kind of an eye opening. And we're like, I can't believe these people live like this, you know, or have to live like this, you know. And, and it was unfortunate, but that was probably the the roughest roughest uh, trip that that I've been on in my yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, anytime you mention uh, Memphis and then that's part of your your recruiting stop, you're definitely going to run into some unique uh, <laughs> yeah. challenges. And I say unique, uh, and that's a multi-layered word there because, uh, you know, there's there's just so much going on. And, and you know, just depending on where you are in Memphis, you get a whole, uh, whole different feel sure. and a different story and, and, and uh, to your recruiting trip. But So, Coach Coon, um what are the names of some coaches that you feel like do a really great job coaching up the kids and getting them ready to play, uh, but maybe don't always get the spotlight? Sure. You know, there's there's a lot of them, you know, I think. Uh, a close friend of mine, his name is Zach Wilkerson. He's the defense coordinator at Hardin Simmons University there in Texas. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who who everywhere he's been, his defenses, he's a defense coordinator, and they're at the top of the league. And, you know, he's a – He's a D3 guy, you know, um, in some places. But but he's a guy who everywhere he goes, they're good on, you know, and I think there's a reason why. Um, it's because of, of how good of a teacher he is and, and, and all those kind of things, how much he loves the kids. And, and he, he's, he's a guy who I think does a great job. Um, you know, I think there's a guy at a high school in uh, Wichita, Kansas, Steve Martin, Wichita Northwest High School. One of my best friends. We played college football together. Uh, but he's a guy. He's he's ran in defense. He's done it all. He's been a head coach for a long time. Started at a small school, worked his way up, and and uh, he he's 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 been a winner as a head football coach. And and uh, I think you know he's a name that he could come coach in college or at a big high school in, in the state of Texas or one of those states and and fit right in. Yeah. Um, and then I think the staff, the staff of Southeast Missouri State, um, Tom Matukowicz is the head football coach. Bryce Sy is the defensive coordinator that, that I came in there with. And, and when we got there, it was one of the worst programs in FCS football. And it was the worst defense in America. And six, seven years later, back-to-back nine-win seasons, um, just being able to do a lot with a little, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, being able to do stuff at that school that nobody's ever been able to do, and and Tom Matukowicz again is the head football coach, and and he's a guy. If he's not an FBS coach one day, I'll be shocked. And, and you don't hear his name a lot because he doesn't coach at a North Dakota State or one of those kind of schools. Um, but he's a guy who's a, a friend and father and a coach. And, uh, you know, loved working for him and, and, you know, maybe we'll work together again someday. But but he's a, he's a name I would keep an eye on for sure. Well, Coach, I know those guys are going to appreciate, uh, you know, the shout out. And, and it's, it's always great when other guys, especially when other guys in our profession and even guys that we coach with recognize – uh, recognize the hard work we're putting in. And, and so I know those guys are going to appreciate that. But, man, Coach Kuhn, great stuff today. I know uh, I'm speaking for, for Coach Irwin also. I mean, I, I know I, I have a, uh, a notepad here full of, of great stuff and, and really appreciate you um, not just not just only coming on, but really, you know, really bringing it and, and sharing a lot of great stuff with us today. 
Well, I appreciate you guys. You know, I talk to my team all the time about when you're going to do something, add value when you do it. Don't ever do anything just to do it. Um, always do stuff to add value. And obviously that's what I try to do. So, so um, very thankful you guys had me on and, and would love to, if there's any follow-up after this from anybody, feel free to point them my way and would love to answer any questions anybody has. Thanks again to Coach Kuhn for stopping by today. I thought he had some great stuff for us. And, and again, just really appreciate his willingness to talk with us. You know, uh, like he mentioned, you know, we're all in, a, in kind of this unique situation uh, with, with everyone being on quarantine. It's, it's just great that, to see that, that so many guys, um, you know, taking the, the knowledge and things that they have and, and, and turning that around and, and uh, allowing others to benefit from that. So, Coach, Coach Irwin, you, you, you now can add podcast co-host to your list of career achievements uh how was it Did you have fun i had a great time i'm i'm throwing this on the resume i may get hired off of this yeah I don't know, maybe maybe we got a future in radio here yeah for sure well you know between this and your your highland games and your you know you, you are you're a scottish chef you can make a mean haggis i mean you really are you're the total package there so you're definitely uh, spruced up the resume after today for sure. Well, I'm glad you joined us today. We'll definitely have to do it again. You can follow Coach Irwin on Twitter at Irwin Coach. You can also follow Coach Kuhn at rkuhn959. And of course, you need to be following us as well at KYPD Podcast. Also, remember, defensive line coaches, check out Disruption Chat on Tuesday nights at 7.30, hosted by Coach Peter Noonan. That's a chat for G- defensive line coaches, linebacker coaches, where we're talking defensive line play and really front seven play. The first two weeks have been a lot of fun so far. Uh, Coach Irwin, have you, have you got to check that out yet? Yeah, I did. I, I saw, I think, the first one and got a chance to talk to a bunch of different guys, had a bunch of folks reach out to me uh, this past week. I mean, it was really – that's one of the better ones. I mean, a lot of guys used to like the no-fly zone and some of these other defensive-oriented chats, and, and this jumped off from week one as being just as good as any of those. So yeah, I yeah. loved it. Yeah, and what I like about chats is you can you can do them, but it'll still also you know do st- like it doesn't necessarily disrupt your whole night where you have to sit down and, and be you know uh, you know locked up in your room or something. Like I like I was I was watching a movie with my son. You know, we're watching Spider-Man, and I'm on my phone, you know, during doing disruption chat, and you're able to do both, and so that's kind of cool. Uh, so anyway, D-line coaches and, and aspiring D-line coaches, or you just want to hang out with, with D-line coaches and be a cool guy for, you know, for an hour, be sure to join uh, the disruption chat Tuesday nights at 730 Central. Our quote of the day provided to us by Coach Kuhn is this, practice execution becomes game reality. And that wraps up this episode of KYPD. Thank you so much for checking us out today. As always, be sure to rate and review this podcast and also make plans to join us again next week for episode number 54 when I am joined by another surprise co-host. And we talk with an assistant coach from the Big 12, so you will definitely want to check that one out for sure. All right, Coach Irwin, sign us off here today by telling these guys what they better do. Hey, you bet your teeth can pad the stairs.